Well, today we're looking at the uh, topic, blocking the blessings. Uh, Our king, listen now, our king, Jesus, can do anything. Amen? He can do anything. But there are times when he chooses not to. And some of those times are hard to understand, but other times it could be because we have set up barricades or obstacles to his work in us. Today in our series from the Gospel of Mark, King Jesus, we find that Jesus returns to his hometown. But in his old neighborhood, he does not do many mighty works there. So what happened that he didn't do mighty works around the people who had known him the longest. Well, I want us to take a look and see some of the obstructions to the work of Jesus and see that those are still actually happening today. But then also, what must we do to remove the obstacles that are in our lives from Jesus being able to do the work in us and through us? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want anything to hinder the work of God in my life. I I don't want to miss out on the blessings of his work in me or through me. And so today I want us to take a look and see if we are guilty of hindering the work of Jesus And then see how we can tear down those obstacles if there are some in our lives. So we're going to look in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1 and going through verse 6. And if you're able today, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, I'd ask you if you would stand as I read for you these few verses this morning. The Bible says in Mark 6, Then he went out from there, that's Jesus, and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, speaking in and through your word today. Lord, as we come to the message this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would just help us to have open hearts and minds toward your word and your spirits moving. Lord, that we'd be open and obedient to what you're saying to us. Lord, that we would have an honest estimation of our own lives. And indeed, Lord, if we have set up obstacles in our life, we're blocking the blessing of you, Jesus, working in and through us. Lord, may you make that clear to us today all across this sanctuary. Lord, may you have your way in us and through us. And Father, we pray that you would work in people's hearts and lives, that hearts would be changed, lives would be transformed, and uh, Lord, that people would be saved. We pray, Lord, for your work to be done. 
Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see in the bulletin quite a few little empty blanks there I want you to fill in this morning. I want you to see first off as we're looking at hindering his work, and we look at verse 4 and verse 5 in chapter 6 again, and here we see that Jesus says to the people in his hometown that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. In verse 5, it tells us now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. The Bible here tells us that Jesus could do no mighty work. And Matthew, in the same story, in this very same story in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that he did not do, not that he could not do, but he did not do the mighty work in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And so the question then is why? Why could Jesus not do the mighty works here in his hometown? Why did he choose not to do mighty works here? His hometown people, as we will see here, were blocking the blessings that come from knowing Jesus. They know who this was. They know who Jesus is, but still there were hindrances in their life to the work of the king. And friends, I'm afraid that as we investigate this passage deeper, I'm afraid that the same could be said of the church today. We claim to know who Jesus is, but there are hindrances to his work in us. There are hindrances to his work in our churches and in our nation that we have actually set up ourselves. Okay, preacher, you've, you've piqued my interest. Just what are those obstacles? What are those hindrances? Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to tell you and f- let you fill in those blanks there in uh, your uh, bulletin there. And the first thing we see here is our low view of Jesus. The first hindrance that we see here is our low view of Jesus. It is a hindrance to his work in our lives. And we see it here in these people. And you see it uh, in this story here as we see the scene that takes place as Jesus has come back to his hometown and he has his disciples with him. And so Jesus is coming into his hometown uh, as a teacher with his disciples following along. And as he stands up and he speaks in the synagogue, he teaches in the synagogue, many people hear him, and the Bible tells us that the people are astonished at his teaching, meaning they are greatly amazed at his teaching. And so they hear what he has said, and they may have even heard and and probably have heard, as it tells us here, that uh, they talk about the mighty works which are performed by his hand. So they have probably heard now through the disciples uh, the mighty works in which Jesus Jesus has done. But what we find here is that they ask the question in so many words, who is this? They say in verse 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Is this not the carpenter? So in other words, what they're saying here as Jesus has come and he's teaching in the synagogue, they have heard about all the miraculous works he's done. He has his entourage of his disciples with him and they're saying, who is this? This this is just Jesus. We know him. 
He's, he's the carpenter. He grew up here. He, he certainly, there's not anyone, he's not anyone spectacular. Jesus, is, it's just Jesus. It's no big deal about him. So they had a low view of Jesus. As they see him, as they hear him, they think, uh, nothing special here. He is just like us. He's, he's not the Son of God. He, he's not the Messiah. As a matter of fact, we're not expecting anything different or miraculous from him. You see, the people in his hometown were familiar with Jesus. They were very comfortable with Jesus. To them, he was ordinary. He need, we, we don't need to take him seriously. There's, there's nothing to see here. Let's just move along. That's how they felt about Jesus. Listen, friends, in our churches and in our lives, we are blocking the blessing of God because too often, listen, we have become so familiar, so comfortable, so at ease with Jesus that we are no longer expecting him to do anything. We come to the Lord Jesus as if, and we, as if there's, there's nothing to see here. Let's, let's just move along. For too many, we go through, listen, for too many, we go through our ecclesiastical routines. We think little about his holiness, his majesty, his glory, and his awesomeness. We are so at ease with him that we are no longer convicted by his word, astonished by his miracles, or amazed by his grace. Today, we are so snug and so smug with who Jesus is that we are not believing in the power of his hand. We are not seeking the presence of the spirit to fill us. We are not desiring his word. We're not desiring his work or his will or his way, and we're not desiring to truly worship him. And if we're honest, and we need to be honest, if we're honest, we have let our prayers become humdrum, our reading of the word has become dull, our church attendance has become sporadic, and our worship has become predictable. We feel like there's nothing new here. Let's just keep moving along. And friends, listen, this is having a low view of Jesus. And it blocks the blessing of God as it hinders his work in us and in our church and in our nation. Our low view of Jesus hinders his work. That's the first hindrance. There's a second hindrance to the work of Jesus. Our low view of Jesus and our high view of self. Our high view of self. Back in verses 2 and 3, as the people are asking these disparaging questions about Jesus, they are revealing their low view of Jesus, but also we see here their high view of themselves. They are saying here, who is this? Who is this Jesus? For he is just like us. He is just one of us. He's no better than we are. And so as a matter of fact, as they asked the question, is this not the son of Mary? That in and of itself was a derogatory and mocking question because in that culture, 
they would have typically acknowledged Joseph, whether at this point he may have even uh, been have passed away, but they still in that culture would have still acknowledged him as being the son of Joseph. But instead, it's very likely that they're asking this question because they would have remembered the stories that were circulating around surrounding the birth of Jesus. Since Jesus was born of a virgin and many people of the hometown would not understand or believe that, they would, there would have been rumors and judgmental sneering about Mary. And so this question in which they're asking, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, really was seeking to undervalue Jesus. It was to discredit Jesus. And in so, and in so doing, they would even think themselves better than Jesus because they felt like that uh, of those stories that were surrounding his supposed illegitimacy gave them uh, the upper hand. Who does he think he is, they would be thinking. Why? We're better than that. We're better than he is. You see, friends, they had a high view of themselves. They were full of pride. Pride. Listen, pride is a hindrance to the work of the king. Can I get a witness there? Pride is a hindrance to the work of the king in us and through us. C.S. Lewis said, pride leads to every other vice. That it is the complete anti-God state of mind. These people, listen, these people in Jesus's hometown had too little sense of the greatness of God and too high a value of themselves. Their focus was not on who Jesus was and what he could do, but that they were just as good as he was because he came from there. He's, He's no better than us. He's no better than we are. And so their pride and their jealous hearts were blocking the blessing of God. Unfortunately, friends, listen. Unfortunately, things have not changed much over the centuries. Pride is still a problem. And it is still a problem among those of us even who know Jesus. We still, today have too high a view of self. If we were to be honest, and we need to be honest, amen? If we were to be honest, we find ourselves to be quite self-absorbed. And our self-absorption often leads to self-exaltation. We like to exalt ourselves. We like to think, I'm just as important as you are. As a matter of fact, I am more important than you are. Now, we're not ever going to say that because we're good people, right? We're kind, and we're not going to say, you know, I'm just as good as you. As a matter of fact, I'm more important than you. We're not going to say that. We may not even mentally think that, but truth, the truth is, friends, that that is our bent. That is our wicked heart. That is our fleshly nature. And so we think Hang with me here. We think the world revolves around us, and we want it to. 
Amen? Now, come on now. Let's just be honest. Oh, pastor, you're just blowing this way out of proportion. Oh, no, friends. Listen. We feel like that the world needs us. The world needs me. I am important. I am more important than you because I am right. When you get into a disagreement with someone, what is your goal? To prove you're right, that your way is better than their way, right? We, we feel like that, you know, that we're right all the time, that, that we're important, more important than other people. The world needs me. My comfort, my comfort is most important. My opinion outweighs yours because I know more than you do. And friends, here's the thing. We see the evidence of that in our own, of our own pride in our workplaces, in our marriages, and in the church. Our pride causes us to look at ourselves more highly than we should. And this pride, friends, listen, it hinders the work of God in us and in our church and in our nation. In our scripture this morning, these people really seem to be implying that they were as good as Jesus, even that they were better than Jesus. Our pride says, I'm as good as God. So that's kind of bold. Well, you think about that. Our pride is, is us lifting ourselves up because we feel like we know as much as God does. Sometimes we even think we know more than God because we've got a plan. We want to follow through and we'll go through that and we'll just say, okay, God, here's my plan. Now you bless this, okay? Right? So our pride, we set ourselves up thinking that we're as good as God or even better than him. While we may not say that or think that, the truth is that our actions reveal our hearts and we feel, listen, we feel like that we are indispensable and that God needs me. God needs me. I can do great things for him. He needs me to, to take this bold step. He needs me to do this. He, he needs me. And friends, that can lead to pride. And if we're not careful, it hinders the work of God in us. So we see the hindrances here. First, first two is our high view of, uh, first our low view of Jesus hinders his work and our high view of self hinders the work of Jesus. And then thirdly, we see an unwilling view of the truth. An unwilling view of the truth hinders his work. The Bible tells us here in the latter part of verse 3, that as they have asked this question about, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, whatever, he then goes to the end part of that, and they say, the Bible tells us, so they were offended at him. They were offended at him. They took offense to Jesus. In the amplified version of the Bible, it puts it this way, that they disapproved of him, and it hindered them from acknowledging his authority. The Greek word here for offended is skandalizo. It's where we get our word for scandal. And so to them, to the people of that day in Jesus' home down, when, what Jesus was claiming to them was a scandal to them. They were rejecting who he was. They were not willing to believe the truth. They could not explain him, so they rejected him. And here we see in verse 6 also that it tells us about Jesus that he marveled because of their unbelief. 
That's funny. That's fascinating to me. As plain as it was before them as to who Jesus was, but because of their low view of Jesus and their high view of themselves, they had an unwilling view of the truth and they did not believe. Someone once said, one of the commentators this week revealed, unbelief is a mindset a stubborn refusal to believe and a moral rebellion. Even though the evidence pointed in the direction of God, they refused to believe the truth of who he is. Today, there are people who still reject Jesus. Maybe there's some who are here today. Maybe there are people that you know. People who still reject Jesus. Unbelief blinds people to the truth And it robs them of hope. Despite all the evidence of Jesus' miraculous works, despite all the evidence of his death on the cross, despite all the evidence of his resurrection from the dead, as he was seen by hundreds of witnesses, by all the evidence of the changed lives of those disciples, and all the evidence of changed lives today, there are people who still have an unwilling view of the truth, and it hinders his work, and they miss out. On the greatest blessing of all, which is to have eternal life, being right with holy God, having the blessed assurance of heaven, and having an eternal hope. Here in in these few verses, we see how these people hindered the work of the king. We see that we can be, and that we can also be guilty of the very same things. It's our, our low view of Jesus, our high view of self, and it's an unwilling view of the truth. And so here's the thing. We, we know that if we're honest, then we're guilty of these things. We're guilty of having too low a view of Jesus. We're guilty of having too high a view of ourself. And so it can block the blessings of Jesus working in and through us. And so then how do we not block those? How do we not inhibit or obstruct the work of God? How do we make ourselves available to his blessing us as he seeks to work in us and through us? And we see the second point here of removing the obstacles. We need to remove the obstacles in our lives so that we can let Jesus work in us. Are you interested in that this morning? Amen? Do you want to remove the obstacles in your life so that Jesus can work in you and through you? Well, the first thing that we see here that we talked about, the first hindrance was our low view of Jesus. And to remove that obstacle of having a low view of Jesus, then we must regard him for who he is. We must regard Jesus for who he is. As we see what the, uh, these people, these people in his hometown were saying about him, listen, we need to understand that he is not just the carpenter, he is the Christ. He is not just the son of Mary, he is the son of God. He is not born illegitimately, but he is born of a virgin. This Jesus is not some ordinary guy living 2,000 years ago who stirred up some things, then got nailed to a cross because of his trouble. My friends, I'm here to tell you that this Jesus is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the Master. He is the King. He is the Messiah. 
And we are not, listen, we are not to be at ease with him. We are not to take him lightly. We are not to become too comfortable with him. For his goal, listen, is not to make us comfortable, but his goal is to save us. His goal is to bring us to repentance and faith. His goal is that we would confess him as Lord and Savior and that he would use us as his instruments for his glory. Friends, we are to remove the obstacles of having a low view of him. And so let us begin to esteem him highly. Are you with me this morning? You see, we have gotten so at ease with Jesus in our walk today. It is time that we move away from that, get rid of that low view of Jesus and begin to esteem him highly and to seek his face and to want to abide in him and friends to expect him, listen, to expect him to do something in our lives. Expect Jesus to do something in you. Expect something, Jesus to do something in our church. Expect Jesus to do something in our nation. But we have gotten so at ease with Jesus, we think there's nothing new here. Let's just move along. We need to expect him to do something because he desires it more than we do. But we are setting up the obstacles. We are to walk with him and worship him and want more of him. Amen. I want more of Jesus. And the reality is that it's just a matter of me surrendering more of me to him. Listen, friends, we are to Let us regard him for who he is. He is to be our passion, our priority, and our purpose. Let us regard him for who he is. He is exalted. He is supreme and sovereign. Let us regard him for who he is. He is all-powerful. He is ever-present, and he knows all things. Let us regard him for who he is. He is eternal. He is holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Let us regard him for who he is because he, this God, he loves me. And by his grace, he emptied himself, leaving the glory and the splendor of heaven and came to this earth fully man and fully God, humbling himself, going to the cross so that I could have salvation. But not just me, friends. He came not only for me, but he came for you and 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 for you. you. He came for us. Amen. Amen. Let us regard him for who he is as he went to the cross for us. But then on the third day that he rose again victoriously from the grave, he ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit and praise God, he is coming again. We are to regard him for who he is. Let us remove the obstacle of having a low view of Jesus. And may we never become so comfortable with him or so at ease with him or have such low expectations of him that we fail to reverence him or stand in awe of him, but rather we are to regard him for who he is. He is the Savior, the one true living God, friends. He is the King. Amen. He's the King. 
And so to remove that obstacle of the low view of Jesus, we're to regard him for who he is. But secondly, if we have a high view of self, if that's the obstacle, if that's the hindrance, if we have too high a view of self, then what must we do to remove that obstacle? We must repent of our pride. Repent of our pride. Whereas these people were thinking that they were just as good as Jesus. They were full of pride and self-exaltation. Friends, here's the truth. We are in the same boat. But God looks at the heart. We say, well, that's not me. God knows. Amen. God knows. He knows us. And he, he loves a humble heart. Did you hear that? God loves a humble heart. He works in a humble heart. In Isaiah 57, 15, thus says the high and lofty one. By the way, that's not a person, that's God, right? Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And in James 4 verse 6, we know this, and you know this passage. It tells us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, friends. Our pride causes us to feel like we are just as good as God. Our pride says, I can do this on my own. Our pride says, we really don't need God because I know what's best. Our pride says, I'm indispensable. As a matter of fact, God needs me. God needs me to be the pastor at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. God needs me to be a Sunday school teacher. God needs me to play the piano. God needs me to sing. God needs me to be a greeter. God needs me to work in the sound booth. God needs me. Friends, listen. God needs me? No. God doesn't need me. God calls me to be obedient to him. And he expects me to obey him, but needs me? No. He doesn't need me. He chooses in his grace to use me at this moment in time for his glory. Friends, if I were to drop off the face of the earth tomorrow, if God were to take me home, the church would continue on. God does not need me. He would have already somebody else lined up to fill that spot. God does not need us, friends. It's not, listen, it is not about me, and it is not about you, and it is not about us, but it is all about Jesus. I have got news for the, any of us who feel like that it's all about us and that God needs us for this, for, to fill this slot, to fill this role. I got news, and this is going to hurt, but here it is. The world survived long before we ever got here. And when we're gone, the world will survive without us. Amen? Amen. But God in his grace 
chooses us at this moment in time to use us, not for us to be lifted up and exalted, but for him to be lifted up and exalted for his glory. Amen. Praise God. He lets us be a part of his business. Praise God that he uses. But friends, when we are so proud that we feel like that God needs me, that hinders what God can and will do in you and through you. Our pride hinders us from being used of God. Our pride hinders his work in and through us. But friends, to be humble before God, to be dependent upon Jesus, to rely upon him. Friends, when we do that, the obstacles are removed and the blessings flow. Just listen to what God says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. Now, here's the thing. For generations, we have quoted this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, let me just ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that promise? I mean, really, do you really believe that God means what he says in his word? Amen? Yes? And so if we believe that, and I do with all of my heart, if we really believe that if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven and he will forgive their sin and heal their land. Friends, our land needs to be healed. And our land has been needing to be healed for a long time. A long time. Well, why isn't God doing it? I don't believe, friends, that we can get past the very first thing he tells us to do. I think that if we would really, truly humble ourselves before the hand of Almighty God, then we would pray. Then we would seek his face like we're supposed to, and then we would turn from our wicked ways. But I don't think we can get past the humility because we're so proud. And I throw myself in that lump as well, friends. We're all proud people. Listen, if we want God to do a work, we have got to repent of our pride, remove the obstacles our low view of Jesus regarding him for who he is and our high view of self, repenting of our pride and humbling ourselves before him. But then there's a third thing. The third hindrance was having an unwilling view of the truth. And so to remove that obstacle, if you're here today and you have had an unwilling view of the truth, the way to remove that obstacle is simply receive him. You see, in this passage, Jesus came to his hometown to do a great work here. He came to his hometown to bestow blessing. He came to his hometown to point people to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. He came to his hometown to give those people hope, but they were unwilling to believe in him. They were unwilling to follow him. They were unwilling to hear him. And the same thing happens today. The question is, is that you? Is that you? Have you been unwilling to see him for who he is? Have you thought more of yourself thinking 
that you've got this on your own when you know deep down inside that something is really missing. Why not come to Jesus as he is coming to you today and receive him into your life as Savior and Lord as you believe in him? Friends, it is a step of faith. It's acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a Savior for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. It is turning from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, as we're believing, embracing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross, arose again bodily from the grave, professing him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's one step, but all that's rolled up in that one step. We're trusting Jesus to be who he says he is, and he has come to save us, to give us hope. It's a matter of us stepping out in faith, taking that one step. If you've never received Christ as Lord and Savior, what's holding you back today to say yes to Jesus? And Christian, let me ask you, as you think about your life, have you been hindering the work of King Jesus in your life? Have you been blocking the blessings of his work in and through you? Is it because you've had a low view of Jesus? Well, we've just become very comfortable and at ease with him. If so, friends, let's remove that obstacle and let's regard him for who he is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is almighty and ready to do a work in us and through us. Or maybe it's because we've had too high a view of self. If that's been the hindrance, if that's the case, friend, let us remove that obstacle and let us repent of our pride. And you know what the truth of the matter is? Is that that would be everybody here. Amen? Everybody. All of us. Because we're awful prideful people. It's a matter of us saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sinful pride. And I surrender all. Friends, this life, this life is not about us at all, but it's all about Jesus. He alone is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory because he is the Savior. He is the one true living God, and he is the King. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this message, as you have dealt with my own heart this week and in the hearts of your people, let us be honest with you, O God, that we all need a revival in our lives. We need revival in our church. We need revival in our community of Colonial Heights. We need revival in our state. And we need revival in our nation. And we need revival across the globe. Lord, it has to begin somewhere. May it begin in us. As we repent of our pride, as we bow before you, Lord, in humble repentance, saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I'm sorry for my pride. I have not regarded you as I should, I've taken you for granted. I've not expected you to do much. Lord, forgive us. We pray, Father, that you would begin a work in us 
as we remove the obstacles you have enlightened us about today. May you stir us up. May you give us a new passion. Help us to see clearly our purpose. And may you truly be our priority. So, Lord, may you have your way as we come to this invitation for those of us who claim the name of Jesus to come before you. Surrendering all to you, Lord, or committing something into your hands, seeking to join this fellowship or obey a call. Our Father, maybe there are those who don't know Jesus and you've been dealing with their hearts already. They know that they need to just believe in you, receive you as Lord. May this be that moment. Lord, as we come to our invitation, may you have your way in our hearts and our lives. And when we're said and done, that you will receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.